Schomburg. And I'm Lisa DeSimone. And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on the Earned Income Tax Credit. Historically, the Earned Income Tax Credit has been one of the largest cash transfer programs for low-income households with children. The credit also historically received bipartisan support, with Ronald Reagan once describing it as, quote, the best anti-poverty bill, the best pro-family measure, and the best job creation to ever come out of the Congress. Democrats also praise the credit for its beneficial effect on income inequality. Yet the credit is far from perfect. In today's episode, we outline the history of the earned income tax credit, recent proposals to modify and expand the credit, and evidence on its effectiveness. Hello, B. Hello, Lisa. Today we owe a big thanks to Professor Jen Glenn at The Ohio State University for suggesting an episode on the earned income tax credit. This topic has been on our list for a while, and Jen gave us the push we needed to finally get it done. That's right. And one of the reasons we've wanted to put together an episode on the earned income tax credit is because it lends itself naturally to discussions about taxes and inequality, which you and I are both very interested in. And I have a special place in my heart for the credit because hearing my mom talk about it when I was in elementary school is my first tax memory. And you never forget your first tax memory. You always remember your first. And that's a great way to get us started because the EITC is a tax credit that's specifically targeted to ease the burden of single parents of stubborn, one might even say obstinate children. Not funny at all. And although I would fully support such a credit for all parents, that is not actually what the earned income tax credit is. No, I jest, but it would be pretty cool if it was. Anywho, let's hop into our handy-dandy time machines to a groovier time to learn the history of the earned income tax credit. So picture it. United States, 1975. Sony has just introduced the Betamax. The movie Jaws suddenly has us all afraid to swim at the beach. You're going to need a bigger boat. My parents gave birth to their first child. And I hope that their first child be a masculine child. Well done. And the earned income tax credit was first enacted on a temporary basis during President Nixon's administration. Almost as interesting as the cinematic 70s. Almost. The credit emerged following a debate in the 60s and 70s over how to reform welfare. The number of families receiving welfare more than tripled during that time, and some policymakers wanted an alternative way to transfer cash from the government to low-income families. President Nixon originally proposed something called a family assistance plan in 1971, which would offer a federal minimum cash guarantee to working parents with low incomes. But Senator Russell Long, who was then chairperson of the Senate Finance Committee, which is where all the tax magic happens, Mm -hmm. was not a fan of Nixon's plan because he thought it would disincentivize workforce participation. Instead, he wanted to offer a tax bonus to supplement the low wages of working poor parents. This work bonus plan was eventually passed in 1975 on a temporary basis and renamed the Earned Income Tax Credit. Now, because the credit was designed as a work bonus plan, it allows taxpayers to offset not only their income taxes, but also their employment or FICA taxes, which equals 7.65% of income from work. Thus, the credit is what we refer to as a refundable income tax credit. If the maximum credit a taxpayer qualifies for exceeds their income tax liability, 
they can still get the excess benefit in cash from the government, assuming they have enough of an employment tax liability. And I feel an example coming on. So let's keep it simple. Say a single person earned $12,000 from a minimum wage part-time job in 2020. That person will have no income tax liability because their income is less than their standard deduction of $12,400. But even though that person paid no income tax, they did pay $918 of FICA tax. And guess what? The earned income tax credit allows them to recover some of those FICA taxes, which aren't even income taxes at all. And I really like that aspect of the credit because it's recognizing that people pay lots of different types of tax. Yep. So the credit became permanent in 1978 and was subsequently modified and expanded in a bunch of different ways. So first, starting in 1981 under President Reagan, the credit became indexed for inflation. And what that means is that the maximum amount of the credit increases every year in line with inflation. In 2005, the filing process was simplified under George W. Bush, and in 2014, former House Speaker Paul Ryan proposed expanding the credit to double the maximum amount that childless workers could claim, and by lowering the age of eligibility from 25 all the way down to 21. And as I sit here listening to you, I can't help but notice something a little bit odd, or at least unexpected to me. Okay, go on. Um... All of the names that you just mentioned are names of Republicans. Yes. And when I was putting together this brief little summary of the modification and expansions, all I could think about was the episode of 30 Rock, one of the greatest shows ever written by me, Tina Fey. One of the greatest. Yep. Your alter ego. Uh, mm -hmm. So Jack uh, quits NBC and he goes to work in the H.W. Bush White House as the head of, quote, extreme weather preparedness and the war on the poor. <laughs> and he's telling this to Liz and she says, you mean the war on poverty? And Jack says, yeah, okay, let's go with that. But can they find any pens? They're not in a recession. They don't need pens. You can write with, uh, you can write with paper clips on post-it notes. But in all seriousness, if we are capable of such a thing on this podcast, the earned income tax credit historically did have strong support from both Democrats and Republicans. But mm. when Republicans started to think about tax reform in 2016 after President Trump was elected, the limited discussion around the credit centered on allegations of fraud and waste. Mm. A 2014 IRS report estimated that between 25 and 29 percent of all payments made under the program, as much as $19 billion each year, were made erroneously. Now, not necessarily because of fraud, Okay. But rather because taxpayers and sometimes even tax preparers sure. often misunderstand whether they qualify. Okay. So let's see where all this misunderstanding comes from by breaking down what you need to do to qualify for the credit. Number one, you must file an income tax return. Okay. So not everyone's favorite thing to do, but it seems reasonable nope. enough. Sure. So remember, a taxpayer may qualify for the credit, but have income less than the standard deduction, which means technically, legally, they don't have to file a return. Mm -hmm. But if you want to get any of the benefit from the EITC, you do have to file a return. Fair enough. What else you got? Number two, you must have, quote, earned income, which does include things like wages or income from self-employment or gig work, but does not include things like investment income, things like dividends, interest, rents, royalties, and capital gains. Again, seems logical since the credit was crafted as a work bonus. 
but you can't have too much income. All right, now you're just being picky. And how much earned income you can have depends on number three, how many children you have. So childless taxpayers can qualify for the earned income tax credit if they meet certain age requirements. For taxpayers with children, the amount of the credit is contingent on the number of quote, qualifying children you have. And I love it when there are quotes. Right. So Lisa, what the fork is a qualifying child? Excellent question. In a nutshell, a child must meet relationship, residency, and age requirements to qualify as a child. And very on-brand, things are even more complicated if parents are unmarried, separated, or divorced. All right, now I'm starting to get a little exhausted. I'm hoping that there's not a number four. Number four, okay. you can't earn too much investment income. Oh, wait for it. Number five, you have to be a U.S. citizen or resident alien for the year. Number six, you must have a valid social security number. Number seven, you can't have any foreign earned income. And number eight, things get a bit more complex if you are married but filing separately. Okay, so now that you're finished with that, I think it's- Hold up. I'm not done yet. Okay. Number nine, if the IRS denied or reduced the amount of credit a taxpayer claimed in a prior year, the taxpayer must file an additional form to claim the credit in the current year. Okay, so now that you're done, I think it would be a good time. Nope, not yet. <laughs> if the IRS determines that a taxpayer was not entitled to the credit but claimed it and made an error due to, quote, reckless or intentional disregard of the rules, they can't claim the credit for the next two years. All right, I'm not even going to try to talk anymore for the rest of this episode. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> All right. Second question or third. I've lost track. Lisa. Is the credit even worth having to jump through all of those hoops that you just enumerated? It depends. Your favorite answer ever. In 2020, a single person with three kids and less than about $51,000 of adjusted gross income, which is just income less some of the deductions you're allowed, could claim a maximum credit of $6,660. But a single person with no kids and less than about $16,000 in adjusted gross income, so a lot less earnings, could claim a max credit of only $538. And I would say that's a potentially a lot of work for a childless taxpayer to go through to claim a $500 benefit. Well, lady, have I got some good news for you. Bring it. The American Rescue Plan passed in March of 2021 made some significant changes to the earned income tax credit, many of which were specifically targeted to benefit childless workers. The plan almost tripled the maximum amount of the credit for these taxpayers from around that $540 that you just referenced to $1,500. It also increased the income cap from about $16,000 to $21,000. And those are some really big beneficial changes for childless workers. And while we're on the topic, the childless are just horrendously overlooked in general in life. So it's about time we got some benefits. You do. You need some, you need some you love. Know, other than not having to raise children. Yeah, right. Stop asking for more benefits. <laughs> I think this warrants another example. All right. So let's take a single woman without kids, 25 years old, who earns a whopping $13,700, which in 2020 was just above the poverty line of $13,621. So this woman, not poor not with her poor. huge 
$13,700 salary. She's just like rolling in it, right? She just roll it, roll it in she, it. She rolls around in those bills, like making it rain. Okay, so she's she's not poor at $13,700 of gross income. Because because the government says so. Right. Um, but she is going to have to pay tax on that. She's going to owe about $1,050 in FICA. And assuming she claims the standard deduction, she's going to owe about $130 in income tax. So even if she could have claimed the maximum earned income tax credit in 2020 of $540, her after-tax income is below that poverty line. We have literally taxed this woman into poverty. But under the American Rescue Plan in 2021, the earned income tax credit grows enough that her after-tax income is now above the poverty line. She's no longer poor. She's above the poverty line, but not by much. No, not by much at all, but still enough to meet the claim that the earned income tax credit pulls families out of poverty. In fact, it's estimated the American Rescue Plan's increased earned income tax credit helps prevent 5.8 million people aged 19 to 65 from being taxed into or deeper into poverty. And anytime we're talking about poverty, we have to bear in mind that a disproportionate share of low-income taxpayers are Latino and Black workers. Workers from mm. these groups make up a disproportionate percentage of taxpayers who are pulled out of poverty by the enhanced earned income tax credit. And these inequality issues are even starker for women of color because, as we've talked about before, women typically make less than men. I, I think you, that doesn't make any sense. Did you, what, what now? Yep. Women typically make less than men. This is nonsense. This is, this is bull. Right? And um, women are also more frequently single parents. Yeah. So the earned income tax credit seems like a really important policy tool for addressing inequality. Absolutely. Super important. But here it comes. Negative Nancy. Oh, or Bleak B. Is that, is that my new rapper name? Yes. Like Meek Mill, Bleak B. Yes. I love it. Well, I'm just going to be me, Bleak B, because I'm no good at being anybody else. True that. We have to remember that the marriage tax penalty disproportionately impacts couples of color. And that's bad news when it comes to their earned income tax credit. So let's assume a childless worker and a parent fall in love. Aw. If they remain single and make low income, they both qualify for the earned income tax credit. But if they get married, the childless worker doesn't qualify as childless anymore. And the sum of their two incomes will reduce or even eliminate the amount of benefit that the parent qualifies for. Yikes, that doesn't seem like a great outcome at all. They get higher benefits if they remain unmarried, despite no change in the economics of their situation, assuming they share one household, other than a little piece of paper. Not a great outcome. And it kind of makes you wish that we could turn back the clock and fix some of these problems with the earned income tax credit. It does. And that reminds me of another 1970s cinematic classic. You want to do the time warp with me? Huh? Not even a little bit. Let's do time bad and the ugly and I for a change have something good to say a rarity indeed there are lots of reasons to like the earned income tax credit 
Research shows that it can improve maternal mental health. And I am speaking from experience when I say that moms need all of the mental health help they can get. I love that. We've also talked about how it can reduce childhood poverty, lower income inequality, and improve the incomes of black households relative to white households in the bottom half of the distribution. And because it subsidizes work, research also suggests it can increase employment, which is one of the reasons why I think it gets a lot of Republican support. And these are all good things. But here she comes. Bleak B. It does have its flaws. Okay. So on top of the marriage penalty issues, there's this teeny tiny little concern that it actually doesn't even benefit all of the taxpayers that it could or should. For example, according to a 2004 law review article by Professor Dorothy Brown, some of the poorest Americans don't benefit at all because they are, wait for it, too poor to be eligible for the credit. That's nonsense. What's more, by some estimates, as many as 20% of eligible taxpayers don't even try to claim the credit, at least in part because of the complexity involved in determining eligibility, those short little list of 10 steps that you outlined for us. Which is ridiculous, right? We're making a really important benefit too complex for people to handle. Absolutely. And another sad part of this is that part of the issue is not just complexity, but that there's poor awareness that the benefit exists. And in what I'm going to call the geekiest, nerdiest tax display I've ever encountered in my entire life. Not not what you're looking at right now. <laughs> I'm very confused where this is going. If you can imagine it, imagine it. Work with me here. Geekiest, nerdiest tax display ever. I'm trying. The IRS actually has an earned income tax credit awareness day. That is amazing. And it makes me want to go so that I could see, like, I imagine this party where they're like giving away free jobs or hit the pinata and a free child comes flying out. <laughs> How about free child care? I would okay. go if you hit the pinata and free child care came out and cake. Yeah, sure. There should always be cake. There should always be cake. And that just leaves the ugly. And let me tell you, it's a really ugly one today. What would you say if I told you that earning income tax credit seekers are audited almost as much as the richest Americans? Well, I'd like to tell you that it's perverse and nonsense and makes no sense and could never happen. You would be wrong. But... We've talked a lot about how underfunded and under-resourced the IRS is. And unfortunately, it turns out that audits of the earned income tax credit are relatively cheap and can be automated and they're simple, while audits of the rich are not any of those things. Mm. So it's simply easier to audit earned income tax credit claimants and they are, by construction, lower income taxpayers. I mean, it's easier for the IRS, it's not so easy mm -hmm. on the family that probably needs that credit to pay its bills. And it's not going to get it until the audit is over, which could last at least a year. Um, adding more insult to injury, this trend has only gotten worse over the past 10 years to the point that the audit rate of the top 1% and earn income tax credit returns are nearly the same. And despite bipartisan support for the earned income tax credit, 
Remember all those Republicans at the top of the episode who passed and expanded the credit? I do remember them, yes. Well, it turns out that some people blame at least part of this increasing audit trend on pressure from Republicans to root out incorrect payments of the credit. Oh man, just when I thought we had one thing we could all agree on. Blurg. Blurg indeed. And um, while we've got this negativity train rolling, Bring it, Bleak B. Bleak B's coming back for an encore. I like it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say something negative. Well, yes. But go on. I wanna make it clear to our listeners that it's your fault. My my you're looking at me. Looking, my fault. I'm looking at you and I'm saying it's not our listeners. No. My fault. It's your fault. Because I never would have thought of this had you not said something very uh, insightful on this episode. I hate it when I do that. Do it too much. So back to the example of our single worker who at $13,621 of income was poor, Mm -hmm. but at $13,622 of income is no longer poor. Everything just got better for her. Yep. I mean, uh, bill collectors stopped calling. Yep. Her rent went down. Absolutely. It's amazing. And so once you said that to me, I realized how stupid it is that we consider poverty to be this bright line thing. Mm. And it's going to make me a little bit more cynical when I read all of these reports that sometimes Democrats really like to to tout and drag out saying how all of these social programs are, quote, lifting people out of poverty, when all that means is moving them from $13,621 to $13,622 of after-tax income. Once you've done that, you can claim with a straight face that you've lifted somebody out of poverty. And I think it's a little ridiculous. But all their problems are solved by that $1. Yeah, I mm-hmm. guess I guess that's the part I, I just wasn't realizing. Well, that's all we have time for today. I'm Lisa DeSimone. And I'm Bridget Stomberg. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses. Oh,